Hey guys, so like, do you think like Mark totally needed to have like a cigarette and a glass of scotch during that? I mean, that, that was great. Thank you guys. Um, hey, good to see you today. I was, I was sharing this with a nine o'clock crew, but you know, we came in this morning and someone showed me their phone and it had that like awful negative sign before the, 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 the temperature. And you know what? It's still cold and you came and that's awesome. And it's good to have you here and thanks for braving it. We have been talking this year about talking with God, how he talks to us and how we talk with him. And what we've been doing these, these weeks of December is we've been looking at, um, can I put it this way, kind of like the bee cast in the Christmas story. You know, the people who never made the photo op, the, the, the Zechariahs and the Elizabeths and the Marys and the Simeons, um, and what they can teach us because you know what? When the gospel writers penned the story of Jesus, they saw these people as vital, as people who had something to say, as, as, as people that we can learn from. And when we're, we're wrapping this up today, and, and we're actually kind of going to step into an A player today, um, but she wouldn't have called herself that. Uh, ironically, she doesn't think of herself that way. And her name is Mary. And... Um, the mother of Jesus, Mary. And I want to share her story with you this morning. And I think what she can help us see about how God talks to us and about how he invites us to talk with him in return. So check this out. Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, basically what an angel says every time they show up, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found great favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel. How will this be, since I'm, I'm a virgin? But the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. Listen to this. For nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it, may it be to me, as you have said. And then the angel left her. 
Now, her story doesn't stop there. It says, at that time, she got up and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she explained, exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored? Who am I? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And it's at this point in the story that Mary responds. And she says this, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the, the mighty one. He's done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. I never ceased to be amazed at how like, poetic people were before they had TV, right? <laughs> I pray, dear God, be with, right? And they come out with this. But it's not, can I use this word? It's not the sophistication of the prayer, it's not the eloquence, it's not the fact that she drew, like, drew on 27.3 psalms to, to bring this together or something like that. There's something else about this story, something else about Mary that strikes me, and it's her posture. Did, did you catch it? It's, it's her posture and poise throughout the whole thing. It's not so much what she says as much as it is her attitude that strikes me. And there's something embedded in that that I think there's something that we can draw out here today. You know, God comes to me and tells me that I am his chosen vessel that he has selected me as a one and only to bear the Son of God, that I am literally going to be the mother of God. God comes to me and tells me that, you know what my reaction is? In your face, suckers, right? Right? I am the man. I'd also be greatly disturbed that as a dude I was pregnant. That's another matter. Not Mary. Did he catch her attitude through this whole thing? There's this sense, like, who me? Who, who am I? Who, I don't understand. I, I, I'm nothing special. 
I, I'm not a chosen one. Who am I that you would pick someone like me? It's Mary's attitude and posture throughout this story that strikes me, this attitude and posture of humility. So often, I think, when we try to hear God and when we engage in speaking with God, we get so hung up on technique. What's the right thing to say? How do I say it? What words does God want me to repeat? To which I think he just kind of sits there and goes, guys, you're missing the point. It's a disposition. It's a heart. It's an attitude that's important to me. It's an attitude and heart, that disposition, that means everything. And Mary shows us something in this. This attitude and heart and disposition of humility. I came across this mosaic, I want to show it to you, of Mary with Jesus. I actually really like it. And I bring it up for this reason. Because just about every other picture I've ever seen of Mary, I really don't like. Have, have you ever seen like art of Mary? Artwork, you know, like renditions of Mary? It's, it's terrible. I mean, she's always like kind of positioned and posed with this like joyless, somber expression with the head tilted 15 degrees upward heavenward. We can't be too proud with like full face, right? But just enough so we know that her heart is in the right place. She looks constipated, doesn't she? She looks like she's in pain. And it's portrayed as something that's meant to be holy and good. And and it's like, you know, I see these pictures and, and I go... With a personality like that, it's no wonder the Roman Catholics thought you were a perpetual virgin, you know? It just, oh, oh, I know that was off color, but come on, go with me. I never liked these portrayals of Mary until I came to understand what the artists were really trying to do. They're not really trying to show you Mary as much as they're trying to communicate the vital importance and lifeblood of this thing called humility, of an attitude, a perspective, a posture of being humble before God. Now, don't hear me wrong. I still don't like the pictures at all. But at least now I understand a little bit I think, uh, of what I think they're trying to show me. And I don't want any of this to be misunderstood. Because all of this could so easily be taken as though this vision that we see in that kind of artwork of humility is what humility actually is or what God actually intends. Because I'll tell you, I meet a lot of people who walk around with a constipated look on their face, with their heads tilted to a perfect 15 degrees upward angle and a certain sense of joyless morose who are the least humble people I know. 
Because humility is not about that kind of stuff. It's about something deeper, something you really can't see for what it is, but only often in its, in its slightest manifestations. And it's that kind of posture that Jesus invites us to have, both you and, and me. There's something in humility that's liberating. You know, not many people, I think, man, you know, I want to be humiliated today, right? Good times. You know, does it sound like just a great afternoon right there? But you know what I've come to find? There's something amazing. There's something freeing. There's something, guys, I, I can think of no better word than liberating in this thing called humility. Because when you're humble, you don't have to keep the pretense up anymore. Have you ever tried to keep the image alive? The image of how you want people to think of you. The image of the kind of person you're supposed to... It's exhausting. But to just adopt a pasture of humility? Yeah, you know, this is me. Here I am. And all my vulnerability. I tell you, if you're tired right now, try some humility on today. It will be absolutely freeing. It's freeing with God. I see so many people who warp their life around this idea of trying to get the right kind of attitude portrayed to God as well. Maybe if I have the right facial expression, maybe if my head is tilted at the perfect 15-degree angle, maybe if I keep the image alive of the good person I think I'm supposed to be, then God will want someone like me. Ah, oh, guys, if that's where you're at, it's exhausting. That's not what God wants you to be. I got good news for you. God knows who you are. You don't have to keep appearances up. He knows who you are. He knows what you think and he knows what you tuck down to those deep, dark closets inside that you don't let people see. So stop trying to hide it. Just come out to him in the spirit of humility. Be free. Because I'll tell you, despite even knowing who you are, God loves you anyway. He accepts you for who you are. He wants to be with you for everything you are in all your humiliating array. Are you with me? See, the way of Jesus is a way of humility. The way of Jesus is the way of humility. Think about this. Let's just kind of trace his life out a little bit here. Let's start with his teachings. We don't really even have to go farther than that, but have you ever just really stepped back for a moment and thought about the teachings of Jesus and how many are rooted in this, this fundamental concept of vulnerability meets humility? I mean, I, I think of the parables that he throws out, the maxims and the aphorisms, right? Always saying stuff like this, the last will be first, the first will be last, the proud will be humbled. The humbled will be exalted. 
Those who want to be the greatest among you need to become like a slave to all. You know what Jesus is kind of saying? Do you want to be awesome? Then try humility. For Jesus, it's all about reversal. I think of the Beatitudes, like these, these, these sayings that people kind of use. You know this one? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I mean, it makes a great Hallmark card, but have you ever really thought about what it's saying? Do you want the kingdom of heaven? I'll tell you who it's for. The broken. The poor. I don't care how much money you got in your pocket. The poor in here, those who know, I got nothing. I got nothing to offer. I am nothing. Who am I? Christ comes and he says, the kingdom is for people like you. I think of, I think of so many of these things. I think of Jesus' life. I mean, kind of wrap your mind around this. He's born a peasant. I mean, I, I get my choice to be born how I want to be born. My last name is Gates, all right? He's born a peasant. Complete obscurity. And, and, and a feeding trough. That's gross. Newborn babies are gross, too. It's hay and muck. Goats and cows drinking out of this nonsense. And he's laid in this to some obscure backwater peasant family. Steve Jobs invents a phone that plays music. And you can get his 800-page biography. Jesus comes down from heaven, and what do we know about his life? Nothing. Nothing before the time he's 30, except for a random incident here. There and he seems okay with it that way. I think of Jesus. His ministry, you know, he comes home tired, right? Because he's human too. He got tired too. And he sees people who are in need and he has compassion on them. And he's touching people's wounds. That's gross. You get a CNA to do stuff like that, right? Doctors don't lower themselves to that level. Jesus does. You see him going to the least of the least, people that can offer him no credibility, people that can offer him no sense of authority, people that can offer him no power or privilege, and he spends his times with people like these. He seems to, to root out the outcasts, the, the disenfranchised, the, the embarrassing, the low, and he delights to be in their presence. He says things to him like, hey, come and follow me. I think of Jesus on that night he's going to be betrayed. Yeah, betrayed. He didn't have to be betrayed. I would have struck him down with lightning because that's awesome. Or the force. He goes the way of death. He does more than that. I remember that night when he's trying to still communicate to his followers. Do you understand what the posture of humility means that he gets down on his knees and he wraps a towel around his waist, and he starts washing their feet. Is there anything more disgusting than that? This is the way of Jesus. This is what the way of humility 
means. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than his teachings. It's bigger than even the course of his life. It comes down to his very purpose for being. I love how the Apostle Paul will write about this and reflecting on this. This comes out of Philippians um, chapter 2. And I just want to show you a snippet of this, this kind of like cool ancient poem that he quotes. Paul writes this. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He could have, right? He had the right. But he didn't consider it something to be grasped. He, he let go. He made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a, a servant, better translation might even be of a slave. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Sometimes this is a little tricky for me to grasp. Because being a human, I tend to think of being human as being pretty awesome, right? We are like the apex predators. We are the top of the food chain. We are like king of the pack. Human rocks, right? Human power. But what's it like for divine to become human? I mean, okay, I mean, if human's like here... Like, like, where do you, how high do you scale divine over that in terms of importance, grandeur, glory, value, worth? Is it like here? Like, like we're three degrees up? Is it like here? Is it like here? Do I need to start like getting people on my shoulders to put hands away? How big is that gap between human and divine when it comes to these ideas of things like exaltation and Humility. Have you figured out what's in that picture yet? Yeah, at 9 o'clock, I mean, they were tired, I think. They couldn't figure it out. They were like, what is that? Here's the best analogy I can do. Would you lower yourself to become a roach? Would you even hold a roach? Are some of you like having like a moment with this photo going, this is like the, the most horrible photo in, in humanity? I personally think this would be a great Christmas photo from your family. Get all of your kids, right? Right? And then write on it the peace of God, which passes understanding or something like that. I mean, that's, that's, that's happening right there. Does this work? Is that what God did? Is divine stepping down to human the same as human stepping down to roach? Would you? Let go of your humanity to become a roach, to live like a roach, to eat like a roach, to reach out to the roach, to die by the hands of roaches. I can't imagine dying by the hands of roaches as a human, (laughs) let alone as a roach. Do you understand this is what Jesus did? He said, I love roaches. I love them. They matter to me. Because I tell you, in the the gap between divine and human, we are the equivalent of roaches, aren't we? That God would step down for you, for me, 
biggest, nastiest roach of all. <laughs> to be like you and me, to live like you and me, to reach you and me, to give his life for you and me. This is nothing short than the cosmic path of humility. Are you with me? And you know what the mind-blowing thing about this is? And it's something that I, I often forget. It wasn't just for a 30-year run. Don't you think about it this way often with Jesus? Okay, I know that God became human. He was born a baby. He lived till he was about 30, give or take. And then he died and then he rose again. And then he ascended it over. Whew, that's done. Guys, he's, he's still doing it. He stepped down into roachdom for eternity. This was not just a temporary measure. That God said forevermore, I will take on this form. I will be this. That's how much he loves you and me. That's what he's done for you and me. This is the centrality of humility. That you can come to God and go, I don't have to hide that I'm a roach. I don't have to dress it up, mask it, or put on some false pretense like I'm something else. I can let you see me, God, in all my disgusting, dirty, unsavory way and know that even despite that, you came down for me. Welcome. Welcome to humility. Because see, that's who God fundamentally is. He's a humble God. And if you pause and think about that for a minute, it should, it should really redirect your thinking a bit. See, if I was God, and aren't you glad I'm not? If I was God, now I'm telling you, there'd be like fanfare all the time. Like, man, yeah, he's coming, Right? There would be power, there would be lightning, there would be fire, there would be glory, there would be like angelic choruses. It would just be like, you know, wherever I would walk, it would rock. I mean, it would be awesome, not God. He is a humble, humble God. We think of God, don't we, as power and might, but God says, no, I am humble at heart. I am a God who fades behind the scenes. I'm a God who isn't after the glory. I'm a God who doesn't have to be noticed. A God in the most lowly of ways that would even be humiliating for humanity. Silently working. Behind the scenes, it's who God is. It's, it's how he works. It's amazing, isn't it? To know there's a God like that. And so becoming a follower of him is, is really about learning to walk the same way. This passage here, the line like right before it, Paul writes, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Mm. You want to learn what it means to follow him. Learn to think like him. Learn to think of yourself in the same way as your power and your glory and your worth and your entitlement is not something to be grasped. 
but letting it go. Realizing who you are before God and letting it go with each other. That's what Mary shows us. It's a core core part of what I think her story is about. Welcome to the path of humility. So here's my encouragement. Adopt the posture. Start thinking about yourself in this way or better allowing yourself to come clean and vulnerable and bear before God in this way. Do this. And the God who speaks and you as a person who responds, I think, will start to come into closer, deeper, more intimate connection in starker relief. It is an awesome thing, isn't it? Knowing we can admit who we are before a humble God. I got one last story for you. Well, it's Jesus' story. I'm just stealing it. He tells this parable. He says, now to some, let me give you context here. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and, and, and who looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable, okay? Here it is. Two men, they go up to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee. Remember, Pharisees are, you know, in your mind, you should go like, awesome, right? One was a Pharisee. The other was a tax collector. Whenever you hear tax collector, your mind should go, roach. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. You ever pray that way? I thank you I'm not like that fool over there. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that, that tax collector. God, I'm so grateful I'm not like them. I'm not, oh, thank you, Lord. I, I, I fast twice a week. Aren't I awesome? I give a tenth of all I get. Aren't I righteous? You kind of hearing it here? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But instead, he beat his breast. And all I said was, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Here's the question Jesus asks. Which one do you think went home justified before God that day. Man's going to come forward and invite you to rise. And just because we've gone vertical, don't let the question leave you.
Let me restate it again. Which one do you think went home justified before God that day? Guys, no way around this. If you're here and you think you're something special, someone with a lot of worth that God is lucky to have. Nothing more I can really tell you today. But if you're here today and go, I know what I am, and it's kind of like a roach. Who am I that God would bother with someone like me? Then welcome into the invitation of what we're about to do here today. If you find yourself in that latter place that I described, one of the most amazing ways to speak with God is just to tell him that. To not just make it a thought in your own mind, but say, God, look, I don't know why you want me. You shouldn't want me. I know who I am. I know what I've done. And know that in that place, God's compassion and his mercy and his love is deep and rich for you here today. If you're in that place, I just invite you in your own kind of quiet way to take a few moments with me and pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your presence and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. The Bible describes this this humble God as gracious and compassionate slow to anger, abounding in love. A God who loves you so much that he left his glory and position to lower himself, to humiliate himself. To not only become, but also to take the place of you and me. The God of glory died for you. And because of that, you know that you can leave here today before God liberated, accepted, free. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body. It's given for you. 
And he took a cup after supper. He gave it to them and he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Come and do this in remembrance of me. For God, humility means joy because it's freedom. Embrace that joy today.